Hello and welcome to There's No Business Like, a podcast where friends and industry colleagues explore topics and interview leaders in our industry of professional theatrical touring. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to There's No Business Like. I'm Katie Miller with the Midland Center for the Arts, and I am so happy to be joined today by my friends, Kevin. Kevin Maynard, Quad City Arts, splitting the border between Iowa and Illinois. Josh. Josh Benson in Marion, Illinois. Not anywhere near splitting a border, but pretty close to Kentucky. <laughs> Brian. Brian Zelmer from KU Presents and Kutztown University, and I can't do a split. <laughs> <laughs> and gal pal, Danielle. Danielle Van Hook from the Alden and McLean, Virginia. And here's the thing. I'm going to cut you off right now. Um, I know you want to keep going, but it's not today. Um, We're going to take a little moment and recognize one of our pod squad allies here who um, we have something to celebrate Um, at the APAP conference. Josh was elected to the board of Napama. Congrats, Josh. Josh, we're so proud of you. Congratulations. Thanks. Well, friends, I am so excited for this conversation today. But before we get to that, Question of the day is camping, yes or no? Hard pass. Define camping. I thought you glamped, Danielle. You've talked about that. <laughs> well, sure, but I mean, that's not what we're talking about. Um, I will define camping as like tents and sleeping bags and having to start your own fire. That's all fine. It's the running water situation. <laughs> AKA that we restrooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brian, what about you? I, I used to love to camp and even without the tent, although I used to be afraid once I became aware that bears lived in my area because for some reason nobody <laughs> told me that until I was like a teenager. And uh, But no, I love to camp. Uh, I haven't done it in, in a long time. I think I'm now at that age where I'd rather glamp like Danielle, but uh, but I definitely you know used to love it all the time. I'm a solid maybe. I always think that I'm like going to really love camping. And I do love camping once I'm out there. But I always forget like that there's a lot that goes into camping. Like I always forget all the stuff that you've got to pack up and trek out or, you know, set up. Uh, but like once I'm there, like I absolutely love it. All right, Josh, what about you? Uh, camping for me, I... <sighs> Whenever I was a kid, we camped a lot. I haven't really camped a lot as an adult. I really like creature comforts. And so, you know, the I, I don't think camping's necessarily for me at this point. Um, I'm in the same place, Josh. I don't think camping is for me either. Um, I have gone camping once and there was like definitely like build your own fire. We went out on the pontoon boat on the lake and that sort of thing. But then there was also like a like a motorhome sort of situation. So I got to sleep in a real bed and there was running water. So that sounds like an ideal way for me to spend time overnight outside in nature. Um, but I very often pretend camp in my basement with my son because we have a tent in the basement. And the reason that we have a tent in our basement is because of our guests today, the Okie Dokie Brothers. They are a wonderful family music group that is inspired constantly by nature and it's reflected in their music. And uh, I blame them for the fact that I perpetually have a tent set up in the playroom in the basement of my house uh, because my son really loves to play in there and we don't really do camping things we do things like play board games and read books and play dinosaurs Um, but he has a dream of someday taking the tent outside and going camping so friends I'm so excited for this conversation I really hope you enjoy my conversation with Joe and Justin of the Okie Dokie Brothers. Well, I'm Joe from the Okie Dokie Brothers. I play the acoustic guitar and write songs with my buddy Justin over there. Yeah, I'm Justin Lansing, and I play banjo. Welcome to There's No Business Like. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. And as our listeners know, you are favorites in my household. My son and I listen to you all the time. So it's particularly special for me to have you guys here today um, with us on the pod. So welcome. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us, Katie. This is awesome. So let's start with your origin story. Um, So I know your childhood friends, uh, but how did you both fall in love with music? And how did you decide to become the Okie Dokie Brothers? We grew up together. uh, We've known each other since we were three. Uh, We grew up in Denver, Colorado, which is where I live still today. And Joe started playing piano a little younger. I guess I was, I would just sing and listen to Broadway show tunes until about high school. Joe was getting into guitar and um, taking some lessons and he had an extra guitar. And he said, you, you should uh, take this and just learn some chords and we'll start kind of playing together. And then even just a, a little bit after that, we I think we realized both of us could sing. I think we didn't know that either of us 
had like a, an ability to sing and that connection being able to sing together has been kind of the core of what we do. Part of the story too is just the amount of time we would spend outside together as uh, kids growing up. We'd take uh, camping trips and with our families at first and then as we got into teenage years we'd go camping up in the mountains together and uh, that's where we really started singing folk songs around the fire and a lot of those would be kind of John Denver songs or Paul Simon or Bob Dylan. We got a gig as camp counselors and we started playing kind of camp songs and interactive folk songs, call and response and kind of fun songs too. And we realized we had a real knack for engaging uh, kids and all ages with music. And, and we knew that uh, that was a strength of ours. And we, we ended up kind of running with that for the Okie Dokie Brothers and then developing more of our um, outdoor inspiration as we took trips for our adventure albums that we can get into in a little bit. So it really was a very clear kind of from the beginning when you started thinking like, oh, maybe we could be professional musicians, that family music was where the passion was and what you wanted to pursue? Or did you have some other, you know, were you thinking like, oh, we're going to be folk artists before really settling into family music? Yeah, uh, we were definitely trying to be folk artists for a little <laughs> while there. Um, we we had a band that we toured the Midwest in during college. It was good. We played all kinds of different places. We actually formed a nonprofit around it and started playing at like soup kitchens and homeless shelters and um, like low income daycare centers was, you know, one of the places where we saw kids a lot. And we just noticed that that um, connection that kids had to music is just immediate, mm -hmm. you know, that along with our shared childhood and our sort of interest in the engaging nature of kids music and, and the folky nature of kids music kind of led us towards towards starting to write songs for families. So you decided like, okay, family music's where it's at for us. And then how did you get into this idea of the adventure album? Because um, really your first four albums are what you like to call adventure albums. And they're based on these outdoor adventures, like you mentioned, Joe. But then your next two albums, Songs for Singing and Bramble Town, are really quite different. Um, so let's talk a little bit about like those first four albums and how you develop those concepts, um, put those out. And then um, what made you like switch gears for the next two albums? Yeah. So we jumped into the adventure album idea because we knew we loved to write songs about the outdoors and we didn't feel like it was as authentic as it could be if we were just writing these songs kind of in our basements. We felt like they kind of had to come from a, a true experience of unplugging and connecting with nature on another level. Um, so our idea came from a little road trip Justin and I took where we went down the Great River Road down the Mississippi River from up here in St. Paul through Iowa and we noticed one time we got out of the car and we saw somebody canoeing down there and we asked one of the the lock masters do people really do this and and they said yeah you know people jump in their canoes and maybe you know a handful of people make it to the Gulf of Mexico every year we said wow that sounds so fun maybe we could take a month off and we went from St. Paul to St. Louis, and that was our plan. And we decided that that's how we were gonna write an album. Um, so that's what we did. And the songs came from the struggles of the ups and downs of an experience like that. And also just the little nuances and details that come from spending that amount of time outside. The songs also came from the inspiration of each region we explored. So the Mississippi River, we really, dove into river songs and kind of folk songs that had to do with the boats going up and down the river and historically kind of nodding to those traditional American folk songs. We did the same regionally with regional music from Appalachia and old time music, kind of a nod to bluegrass as well uh, when we hiked the Appalachian Trail. And then we did the same thing with Western music when we uh, spent some time horse packing on the Continental Divide in the Rocky Mountains. I have your albums right here because they all live in my car. 
<laughs> so I made sure to grab them. And um, I do, you know, have, knowing your catalog so well, like it's very clear the influences of those regions like you were just talking about. So why do you think it's important to share those influences with kids? I think we put ourselves in the historical context of American music and we think of ourselves as part of a lineage. If we're playing banjo and guitar, we have to recognize that there have been a lot of people playing these instruments and singing these types of songs in the past. And I guess it just goes very deep. So if you're not recognizing what came before you, I feel like you're maybe just doing a little bit of a disservice to your own music. And so our songwriting comes from the music we've listened to before. And a lot of times those are can be very genre specific. So again, with the Appalachian music, we, we didn't grow up in Appala Appalachia or what they would say Appalachia, but uh, a lot of our music and the banjo comes from there and previously from Africa. So going into that region, we thought, let's learn as much as we can about these songs so that we can write the right songs for this album. I don't know if, I think we did it, <laughs> you know, we did our best <laughs> to uh, reach back to those roots. You know, this is folk music, which is music of the people and it's roots music. So it has these deep roots that come from the old countries and they all came together in this country. It's kind of a beautiful thing we think to to nod to our ancestors. And as far as what kids take from it, I don't know, but I think if we show that, that we're not, that we care about our ancestry, about, you know, the older ways, I think maybe they can understand that it is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the only thing I'll add to that is in the folk world, you know, sometimes there's kind of two ways to think about, you know, if we're going to preserve the folk tradition exactly as as it was at one point or when it was recorded at some point, or if it's kind of a living tradition. And I know a lot of people fall in between somewhere on that spectrum too. Uh, and Justin and I really do believe it's important to have some folks in the community preserve the songs from the old traditional ways as close to as original as possible, whatever that means, because I feel like they've always been changing. But our thought with, with the children's music or family music is to take some of these old songs and kind of blow off the dust a little bit and breathe new life into them, which sometimes means, you know, changing the words. Um, certain, certain themes aren't necessarily appropriate for kids. And also we, in the modern context, we've um, found ourselves, you know, reflecting on certain themes and songs that just aren't that that healthy or helpful for communities. So uh, not losing a whole idea for a song or a melody that works so well and the rhythm works so well, and it just needs a, a little update, you know, and, and some positivity. And so sometimes we do that with songs and other times we stay a little closer to the original. But um, that's been part of our creative process too, is trying to find that line that's respectful of the lineage while also um, updating it. I love that. And I think it's a, honestly a great way to introduce children to that. It's like, I don't know that my son would have ever heard a banjo necessarily unless we had, because it's just not in contemporary music. Um, but now he like loves to play air banjo, awesome. <laughs> which is hilarious. We've done um, our job. <laughs> apparently. But I just love that connection to history and that it's a great way to have families connect to art form that like really isn't in the family sphere um, in any other way. So let's talk a little bit more about like moving forward after those three albums and then moving to Winterland and then your next two. After the three adventure albums, we decided to go up north in Minnesota. You know, we started the band here in Minneapolis where I live. And so we have lots of roots in Minnesota. And we really love that Minnesotans have a culture of embracing the, the cold. And instead of kind of complaining about the freezing temperatures and ice to really say, you know what, this can be pretty special if you dress properly and you get out there with good ideas for engaging with the, the weather, we can make this thing that a lot of people think is hard about our state, uh, one of the most special things about it. And so we did an album called Winterland where we went up to the Canadian border and we did some winter camping and we made some music videos up there while dog sledding and cross country skiing and 
sledding and uh, ice fishing and all of this. It was something about this place that we come from and saying uh, we're proud of it. And, and so that record gets spun a lot during these cold November, December, January, February months here in, in the North March, country. March, April. And March, April. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes May. Yeah. Something that really comes out in that album are the, the kind of slow, deep, cozy songs that bring families to another level of appreciating the beauty of nature and community and reflect on kind of this like sad beauty of life you know uh it's kind of ironic that sometimes the most beautiful and heartwarming things can kind of have a little tinge of pain to them and uh, i think kids feel that and so it's it's giving them an experience through art to start feeling those complicated emotions songs for singing and bramble town really like embrace that even more um and you know knowing your catalog so well i can see like the artistic growth and progression from can you canoe kind of to your latest album so how did you like change gears or what was the inspiration behind behind like kind of really switching um not necessarily style but just like inspiration or behind those those next two because it is a little bit of a shift away from like you said the adventuring and going out and really connecting to nature there's still a lot of nature in both of these but what was the inspiration and was it pandemic related perhaps <laughs> <laughs> at least for songs for singing uh no <laughs> actually we we had we had written that whole album and even were prepping to come out with it right at, right when the pandemic started it is kind of about getting people together and singing and having get togethers really and we weren't able to do that. The other side was that our main focus originally was childhood. Like we, we even thought of titling it childhood. It was all different aspects of childhood. So, you know, it, the whole the whole album, it's it's two discs, it's very long, and it goes from morning, kind of has this like direction of a full day that happens, and it's all the different parts of childhood that happen in a day, I guess. Um, you know, there's songs that are based around counting, but then there's a little more depth in it. There's songs about colors, but it's kind of exploring like, what is color? <laughs> what is hue? And like, uh, how does that affect us in our, in our day-to-day -day life? Um, and, and metaphorically and poetically. So like Joe was saying before, we wanted to address somewhat serious topics or you know not not just be all happy-go-lucky all the time because that's not exactly how life is and so for example hope machine which is the first song on that album kind of says like life is hard uh you gotta you gotta keep going that's what the hope machine is and i think that sort of resonated with people during the pandemic in a time when uh when they needed that message yeah, and as for kind of the transition from the adventure albums into Songs for Singing and Brambletown, uh, just personally, you know, we've started families in those years. I had a kid, you know, leaving for 30 days out in the wilderness probably wasn't going to go over so well with my wife. So, um, <laughs> you know, I wanted to be there too for my, my kid. And so we just kind of transitioned into really focusing on the music and the songwriting Whereas before, you know, making a DVD and planning a trip every every two years, putting out these records that were quite uh, labor intensive and time intensive. I mean, it was it was a thing that we could pull off before we had families. And now Justin started a family too, and has a little one. Uh, so as we go, you know, we realize our time is is really well spent when we're writing lots of songs sitting with the songs and our instruments and our our voices and and really really feeling into that side of the art um now that the context of the band is like out there with the videos and whatnot we can kind of really dive into giving people some classic family songs and that's not an easy thing to do um what we've noticed is it requires you to be in a really healthy state of mind, you know, a balanced state between just your, you know, physical and mental health. But creative health is is a difficult thing to achieve. So especially when traveling every other weekend, um, 
we realized that we just needed to strike some some balance there with our creative routines with writing and it's been really good for the songs and our artistic process and just getting better at our instruments and 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 honing in on the craft that brings in all ages right so we're writing for grandparents and parents and teens as much as we are for kids trying to give songs that are easily accessible for kids to engage with but also have a, a deeper meaning for for parents to reflect on and like i said it's 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 kind of a hard thing to do and but we love that challenge of writing songs like that yeah it's sort of a tough balance to to figure out and it's it's been a constant you know conversation between us i think every every lyric has that conversation between us it, and then every song has that conversation and then the whole album has the conversation and then the career is like it keeps going <laughs> you know it's kind of the core of what we are balancing always and so i think if the music is hitting us personally each other you know or our loved ones close adults that's a good sign and then there's always something that we know just because we've been kids before we kind of know like okay these like kids are gonna love that and you see that you know them really connect to those little funny lines and i, I think sometimes we can get like too adulty we, we, we're like kitty versus adulty and and we can get too kitty too of course but sometimes we push to the adulty side and we're like wait 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 like who is this for why are we doing this and what's been so awesome about this project is it gives us this limitation of yeah who it's for and who's going to be listening and that limitation on art is so, is such an important thing for quality of art i think it makes our albums much more listenable it's like this is who it's for there's a story behind it too right besides the two of us there's a story behind who's listening and why they're listening and the the family is that story yeah and another thing that, that we keep in mind as kind of a rule of thumb when making these songs is that there are kitty parts in in adults and there are kind of like you know deep adult parts and mature parts and kids so it's also kind of like what are we even talking about we're all human beings so when we draw on the lineage of folk tradition that understood that music is for community in the first place that always ends up being like some of the easier answers for us instead of overthinking everything like what developmentally blah 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 it's like well look look to how they were making music when the whole town would get together and the kids were there and the grandparents were there and everybody was enjoying it well yeah they threw in jokey songs sometimes because we all like jokes not just like kids like jokes we all like to laugh and then sometimes they'd slow it down for the waltzes and everybody would dance to that and there's some beautiful lines in that and the kids love that too you know so those jamborees in appalachia that we saw or those old songbooks that we have from like the pete seeger tradition or way before that you know or even the, the ways that Woody Guthrie wrote songs and Ella Jenkins, these people understood that music was made for bringing people together in communities. And when you're in that energy, you really can't go wrong. You know, every week we spend time listening to old songs, old albums. I'm looking right here on my bookshelf. I have a ton of old songbooks that I just love looking through. This was before the music industry, we can get into this business-wise, the music industry got siloed into let's call this kids music and we can sell it better that way right and labels benefited from that and i i get why that happened but i also kind of like mourn the fact that that happened we have a little niche called family music or kids music because that's helped us as a band but sometimes i'm just like oh can't we just call this music so that everybody can just like enjoy it you know what i mean Thank you for sharing that. All right. We're going to switch gears a little bit. So I've actually given a lot of thought to your business model <laughs> because I do engage with your YouTube videos, your CDs, uh, the films that you've made, obviously your albums, concerts and touring. So like how do our, all of these artistic and business decisions create revenue streams for you and come together to like make it possible that you can do this as a career? I just see like lots of strategy behind the, the things that you've chosen to do to build out your brand, to build out an audience, but also like put the art first and foremost. 
Well, I think that part is so important that that we do put our art first. So, uh, you know, all this time we're talking about our art. I think it's a good thing that we started there because without that, there's not enough substance there to to hold it up. So it all starts there, and I think it's a it's a fact that many artists forget about or maybe avoid. They go straight to like, how am I going to be big? Um, instead of sort of like sitting down and and uh, chiseling out a song that works. So anyway, but as far uh, let's let's get into business. <laughs> I think our model uh, has been us being two of us and holding each other a little bit accountable by getting to work, even though we don't work in the same place anymore. We did for a little bit. Um, you know, coming to work at a certain time and then ending our days together, you know, signing off. And that's something that I think a lot of artists don't do. I've heard from a lot of people like, wow, it's you guys like really just like sit and work. You know, you write emails and you like do budgets and stuff. And it's like, yeah, that is that's part of the work. And it's really important to our success. I'd say the accountability that we have for each other has been, you know, it's what gets me to sit down and write an email that I don't feel like writing right now. It's the daily work that when you put your mind to something on a daily basis, it will grow. And you know, I don't know, you'll see the fruits of that at some point. I don't know if it's always a career, but it will grow if you put effort towards it. Yeah. And so a huge percentage of, you know, what keeps the gears turning over here is touring and playing at these performing arts centers and theaters that is the majority of our our income but what's interesting is we we feed that not only by developing the the show and and dealing with our relationships with theaters and our booking agent sarah does such a good job tara mccarthy at dandelion artists little plug there for the family music roster uh she does such a good job at maintaining those relationships and, and keeping things smooth what we have to do is know that all of our artistic work and time spent um, on the songs and and the context of the band and our our energy just personally, you know, goes towards this fan base. And without the fan base, I don't know if we would be playing the performing arts centers as much. I mean, I know performing arts centers bring in acts that might not have a big fan base and their seasonal uh, the people that show up anyway on their their seasons. That's great that, um, you know, people still show up if, even if they don't know the act. But something we do bring to the Performing Arts Center world, I think, is people drive from a couple hours away and they're just like excited to be there. And hundreds of people show up that have never been to that Performing Arts Center. The reason they're doing that is because they're really in love with the songs. They, they want their kids to have this experience of like, we listen to these guys all the time. Wouldn't it be nice to meet them and like see them make this music on stage? And so that brings a whole energy to the community that we're really, we're, we're proud of that because it, it doesn't seem like it's going to come back, but you, you trust that it is going to come back someday. And, and the music has found its way to people through word of mouth. We don't have big marketing, but I think families tell families about it and then they, yeah, they show up. So that then has affected our bottom line in the end where now we're doing more and more venue rentals because we know people are going to show up and so that keeps the the business going interesting so in that shift um and sarah mccarthy your agent was guest number five on the pod on the podcast um so i've heard a little bit about you know the relationship between agent and artist but in recent conversation with sarah she had also mentioned that you guys are shifting to this venue rental model a little bit more um so that's like interesting to me from a presenter perspective um and that you know you as a team you and sarah together feel like you have that fan base to drive that kind of new avenue so what kind of drove that and are you seeing success with kind of deviating from the standard hey i want to book you here's a contract come on this date sort of thing and you guys like kind of making your own destiny a little bit yeah well it's not that we don't do uh the general contracts and the guarantees, we, we definitely still do. And in certain markets, we have to do that. Um, places we haven't been that much, or we have numbers, you know, that tell us Spotify and Songkick and bands in town and 
you know, certain data, you know, show us where our hotspots are. And so a place like Seattle and Portland, yeah, we can rent, we can rent these, these places because we know, you know, probably 800 people will show up and Minneapolis, St. Paul is one of them and Chicago and Denver. And, uh, but there are many, many places that a guarantee is still very necessary for us because we, we don't know who's going to drive or show up. It's a little bit of a risk factor for us. And it's a risk at this point that we're willing to take to rent a venue and know that we're going to get, you know, more than, more than break even. Um, but, but it only works in certain places. And this is, this is kind of an important thing that I have noticed that there's, you know, certain venues that are all connected to the, to the Ticketmaster and Live Nation and AEG stuff. And it just, that doesn't really work for us. So we kind of have to find those independent uh, cultural centers or whatever the, you know, the certain places are. And those places are, I think, becoming less and less, uh, uh, just existing less and less. And I think it's really sad because artists like us can can make a real living if those independent places exist. You mentioned you don't do a lot of marketing, you don't have a big marketing budget necessarily as part of your business model, but how has social media fed into your marketing? How do you think that that connects you differently with audiences today and has helped you grow your audiences? Yeah, I'll let Joe take that because he's the uh, he's a social media guru, aren't you, Joe? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I, I despise social media personally. <laughs> But I do, I do kind of like hunker into it a little bit when I start seeing that, yeah, of course, it's a really useful tool. We do ultimately want to get our music out to people and families that would really appreciate it, right? So it's not like sitting there being like, wow, if we could just go viral or something, we could make so much more money. It's like, no, we've heard these people <laughs> say like, well, thank goodness we found your music. It meant so much to our family. It resonates with us. And then I see, you know, certain people on, on social media with a, with a certain philosophy to their life. And I think, boy, they would really appreciate this music. So that kind of drives me to say like, all right, how can we devise an, a way that people can organically share this? And a lot of times it's not about running an ad. We do that. We'll throw, you know, 25 bucks at a, a post or, or something so that it actually gets out to our followers. Cause I guess that's what you have to do now that the algorithm has kind of changed in that way. But, um, more importantly, we see super fans who are really engaged with our music and really love it. They want to share this with their friends and family and neighbors that also have kids. And um, sometimes they just need a little reminder or a little incentive or, or push to, to help share that. So sometimes I'll reach out personally to like people who seem really enthused and just say like, hey, would you mind sharing that we'll be in Denver next month? Or, you know, we've got a new record coming out and we'd love to send it to you. We don't really need to go for the big like, it's not like, you know, we'd love to get written up in the New York Times or something like that, but press has changed a lot over the last little bit and and sometimes like a mom that has just a few hundred really close friends and followers on on Instagram sharing how much it's meant to her that's that's as important to us as a big write up on some blog because it's coming from a real person who's it's not like an influencer situation it's just like people helping people find good stuff in a grassroots way and i do feel like people do that and we're very grateful to our fan base for for doing that word of mouth marketing for us. You guys have been nominated four times for Grammy Awards and you actually won on your first nomination for Can You Canoe in 2012. So your fifth album, Songs for Singing, was nominated as well. Um, but that award season was a little bit different. So can you give us the story and the context for what happened that year? Sure. So um, it was 2020. We were in the thick of the pandemic. We got nominated with... Let's see. So there's five artists that get nominated each year, and four of them were consisted of all uh, white male band members, and one of them was a white female. That year, especially, there was a bunch of albums that were being talked about in the family music genre. In the it's the children's music Grammy 
genre that were not made by white men. And uh, we noticed immediately and we thought, wow, this is like, is quite interesting that, you know, the same old folks that have been nominated before are being nominated again. And there, this this energy coming from non-white musicians was was palpable that year. It was it was amazing. I mean, there was tons being written up. Um, the one guy, Pierce Freeland, got written up in the New York Times about his music. Um, that doesn't happen that much in our genre. And uh, you know, there's just tons of things happening um, that that the Grammys seem to overlook in the nomination process. We started talking with people, a lot of uh, black and brown folks in the in the genre were saying like, this, this doesn't feel right. And we felt the same thing. Um, we talked amongst ourselves and with the other nominees. We decided to take a, a stance about the nomination process and say that this wasn't equal it wasn't it wasn't appropriate for what is out there this year and taking that stance was um it was kind of it had interesting consequences i guess yeah so four of us or was it three of us declined three of us yeah. uh the nomination that year which was interesting you know some some i think Sinead o'connor had declined a grammy at some point and maybe somebody else but it's not something that happens that very often so th yeah the pushback justin's talking about is i think you know we're just stepping back from the the Grammy world a little bit um, right now and maybe longer, but uh, just to, yeah, give a little distance there and some more room for folks. And what's really awesome is there's been so many artists of color in recent years since, since that, that have been nominated and rightfully so their music is so awesome and, and communities need to be hearing about this. So we've seen a really big resurgence of, of artists of color in the family music world. Just challenging the fact that we all know that like folk music, like I talk about that lineage of Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger and Ella Jenkins, kind of the Smithsonian folkways crowd. Yeah, we know that works for, for kids and families. Like that's what we do. And, and that's why we got nominated so, so often. But it was harder for hip hop artists, Latin music, uh, music from, from Asia that was up that year to kind of like drawing from different traditions, reggae, like for some reason, the committee that was involved there, not to get too far into the weeds, really had a, had a, you know, preference for, for folk music, American folk music. It just sounds like kids music to them. So those other genres might not have like hit as well for certain committee members. And we knew a lot of the people on the committee and we just thought like, I think it's time for a change up. So, <laughs> you know, good to good to kind of shake things up every once in a while and we're happy with the results and it's good for us to kind of just take a break from that world too i think we had plenty of nominations and we're lucky that we had a win right off the bat that really helped our careers and we're always going to be grateful to the grammys for that but also just like competing in the music thing especially in front of kids is just another big conversation and question of just like do we really want to be putting energy towards that whole thing or can we just uh focus on the the music and we're happy that we're not putting that much effort into that anymore you guys might not know this but the podcast our team has a time machine and we like to take our guests back in time to a previous moment in their career um so and i get to choose so we're gonna hop in the time machine the three of us and i would like to take you back to right before you were releasing your very first album, Can You Canoe? So thinking back to that moment and getting ready to drop that album, what do you know now that you wish you had known then? You've got everything you need right here, which is a group of people that are willing to, you know, sing along to these songs. And you've got nature's beauty and the folk lineage. Just focus on being grateful for those little elements of, of the recipe of this little band and you don't have to push it too hard and think about getting really big or making this thing work harder for you because right now is what it's all about. Even if it's a group of, you know, 15 kids sitting on a rug in front of you and you're playing acoustic songs for them, there's a magic in that to be grateful for. You're getting to sing songs with your best friend and uh, it doesn't get much better. 
So appreciate the little things and being connected to families is an honor, whether it's on a big stage at a performing arts center or if it's in a little community center. It's all really beautiful. Love that. Yeah, I think it's really kind of similar. I mean, I was thinking of the stress that we had in those times and, um, you know, it was a younger energy and there's something really great about that too. We had the energy to just put everything into it. You know, there was a lot of energy for us to be stressed, <laughs> to, to fight, you know, which is always a tricky thing with bands. Um, you know, you have something special, but sometimes that kind of stress or worry that you're not going to do get to where you want to go ends up breaking something that breaks what is beautiful about the band. We were on a precipice of how does this work for us at that, at that moment before, before that album came out. It wasn't just that album. I mean, this has been a process over time, but it's been a sort of slowing down to realize over 15 years that, that we do have what it takes right right here inside of us and we're still learning that that on a day-to-day basis what do you like most about working in the performing arts industry today we love showing up at a performing arts center that cares about making quality events for people and feeling that welcome handshake right right off the bat from a presenter that knows our name that's happy to to see us and has taken care of some logistics behind the scenes in a way that shows that we're welcome there and that this event is gonna you know be special for this this place uh because we're bringing something pretty personal and um yeah (laughs) it's funny i'm like getting a little emotional about it because there's such a difference between places that see your gift And places that kind of take it for granted. Um, it's just like, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> a little bit of an emotional time for me, um, mm-hmm. just reflecting on all this. I'll tell a little story that just happened. Um, we were in Arizona. Where were we? Tempe, Arizona. And uh, we showed up to a venue and like people were there shaking our hands, introducing, introducing everybody like lifting our our um merch in and just like super welcoming and and we were just like this is this is incredible like it really you felt this energy and they were like um the funny thing was they were like oh last night we had the president here he was he spoke at like the exact same place that we played as like a i don't know 400 seat maybe a little bit more 400 seat auditorium and uh and they they treated us the way they treated the president like it really felt that way and they said that and and we're just like you know there's no greater gift that you can give from a per from a performing arts standpoint than to welcome every single artist you have and um yeah we feel it we know like how important this work is and and when when other people have that energy it's like this is going to go well. And it always does that when it, when it starts that way. Well said, Justin, that was part of what I was thinking about too. And, and, and Katie, I always think about you as well, because your enthusiasm is, is so appreciated. Um, the fact that you're having this podcast, that you're asking these questions, that you care about the kids and family, and you know, programming that you do connect with other presenters. It means a lot. And, whenever somebody you know brings up michigan or or mentions you i'm always like oh yeah katie (laughs) like you know these presenters we remember the the artists remember you um when you when you care for what they're doing i mean they're getting on planes they're leaving their families um we're writing songs all the time we're thinking about this this means a lot to us and then we're finally at a show and we're ready to present it and when we feel welcome, we bring an energy that is going to resonate with the audience. When we feel like, oh, just another kid's band, like, what are these guys? Okie dokie, what? 
um, which we have, we felt that, you know, they get our names wrong or, or, or whatever. Um, you're just kind of like, okay, well, here we go. We're just doing a job. But when it's for somebody like you, um, we're, we're doing our vote, our vocation, you know, this is our calling and, and we're going to be bringing a much better energy. Maybe it's invisible, but people feel it. And I think you've probably seen the fact that people feel welcome when they come to your theater, the audiences are going to resonate with that more than just another stop on the tour. Absolutely. No. And I, gosh, I appreciate those kind words, Joe. And um, I totally agree with you. And honestly, working with artists like you is one of my favorite parts of doing this work and doing this job and finding artists that have the same passion that you do and are bringing such quality work and respect the audiences too. I just feel like you have such respect for the audiences that you're writing for and playing for. And to be able to present you and artists like you is uh, one of my greatest joys as well. So right back at you guys. Thanks, Katie. So I have one last question before we wrap. Uh, and this comes from my son, Leo. So last night I said to him, hey, guess who I'm talking to tomorrow? I'm talking to the Okie Dokie brothers. And he was like, oh, that's cool, mom. And I said, is, are there any questions you want me to ask them? Like anything at all about their music or anything? And he goes, he said that for a second. And then he looked at me, he says, next time they come and play here, can they play Howl first just for me? Yeah. <laughs> Owl, yeah, that's a song. Kids love hearing that song. We usually save it for the end, but hey, that'd be a good, that'd be a good one to kick the energy off too, yes. right? So that is his favorite song. It's about the sled dogs and you get to howl during it. And so per Leo, can you please play howl first the next time you're in Midland? <laughs> Maybe. Okay. You have to remind us. Okay. Okay. I yeah. think I can do that. So, well, Joe, Justin, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you so much again for your time. And thanks for all of your insight and thoughtfulness around our conversation today. It is um, a real honor to have a chance to talk about your artistic process and the business side of things too. And, um, just this really special place in the industry that you inhabit. So thanks again for all of your time today. Thanks, Katie. Thanks for your thoughtful questions. Katie, I really enjoyed that interview. Like seriously, what a, what a great time. Um, although I do feel incredibly lied to, um, because I learned that they are not actually brothers. <laughs> and while I realized that their last name was not Okie Dokie, it never occurred to me that they might not actually be brothers. <laughs> so, uh, that was a shocker in the first 10 seconds. So still recovering from that one. Surprise. They're not brothers, um, but they are childhood best friends. So they practically are brothers. That's true. That's true. They are. They do hold such a special place in our house and we do value their music just as much as other families do, like the guys were saying in the course of the conversation. So I was really happy to have the, the chance to chat with them. Katie, I, I really enjoyed getting to know the Okie Dokie brothers. I presented them this this past fall. And unfortunately, my kids were a little bit too old by the time they hit the scene. And so I didn't really get to know them until um, you and Danielle recommended them. And then speaking, of course, with Sarah, their agent, Sarah McCarthy, who they shouted out, you shouted out, and I'll shout out too, because we all love Sarah. And so I'm just so happy that I did. And like they talked about, we had people coming from all over, wide and far. Um, they drew people from way outside of the marketing area that we even advertised or promoted the show uh, in. So, I mean, it, it really is a testament to how much people love them and love their music and, and want to, you know, are willing to travel to to come see them live. Yeah, Brian, that's been my experience um, presenting them as well is seeing that the ticket buyers come through and there's like one from Minnesota, there's one from West Virginia, these places that are not in our area um, as well. And people that are just coming with so much excitement, calling it a marketing strategy like feels wrong because like it's just so loving. But that idea of like sending a mom who is really into the music, like a copy of the new CD and just letting it spread that way that makes people so much more connected to them and what they're doing. Um, and also working with them. They're so passionate about doing um, the meet and greet afterwards and getting a chance to meet and to talk to every kid and to take a picture and like to make sure that like that experience of seeing the people on the music they love so much is such like a deeply important memory for that whole family. And we all know how my pre-curtain speeches um, 
kind of go a little sideways sometimes. And I, when I was giving my current speech for the Okie Dokie Brothers, I, I talked about some of the rules um, because there were certain things that were and weren't were allowed and some things that weren't allowed. And I just slipped in there about, you know, um, you know, the mosh pit and to make sure you watch out your, for your friends and, you know, pick them up if they go on the floor, not realizing that they, those kids, as soon as that music started, the Okie Dokie Brothers started playing it literally, they just rushed the stage and it became like a, a little mini preschool mosh pit. It was amazing. And, and they danced like that the entire show. It was incredible. And then I look around and I, at all the adults who, you know, I've been to other shows where the kids are excited and they rush the stage, but the adults just kind of sit there, not at this show they were up dancing up in the aisles or wherever they were sitting with each other too and singing along. So, I mean, it just, it really does touch the whole gamut of ages. Um, their music really was really special. It was, it was a really cool thing to witness. And they talked a lot about sort of the musicianship of the guitar and the banjo, but I don't want to end this um, recording without talking about what truly gifted songwriters they are um, and the way that they're able to connect um, the lyrics to the original purpose, maybe of a melody um, or like the meaning of a song and then the deeper meaning of the song and the part that's kind of in there for families. And it's so seamless and it just they're gifted in so many different avenues of music creation. I love their approach in making their early adventure records that they wanted to be so authentic that they actually said, well, if we're going to write this music, we're going to write it on an actual adventure and it's going to come from that authentic place. And I thought that was so incredibly cool that that they wanted that much authenticity in the music for it to be something that would actually resonate because of the authenticity. And and I think that was one of my favorite parts of the entire interview is just hearing that aspect because there's there's so much to songwriting, but the atmosphere that you're within is so so important to a person's creative process that it becomes that authentic by them actually writing while they're on these adventures. And what a cool approach to creating an album. I mean, having an adventure like that, something that is in itself a, a life-changing experience, but then, you know, uh, sort of documenting that in a, in a new and fun way. I loved when they talked about stopping themselves and saying, wait, who is this for when they get too adulty or too kitty? And I love that they're intentional about that and just not getting too far one way or the other, but keeping it balanced. Clearly, I know their catalog very well, um, but there are certain songs that when you listen to their albums, you go, oh, this this is clearly for adults. This isn't for kids. There are lessons in there that hopefully children are taking away. But as an adult, there are songs that are incredibly meaningful to me and make me think about the world in different ways. And I know just because, you know, I'm friends with the guys, um, I know some of the songs that come from their own personal experiences. And for instance, one of their songs on their most recent album, Bramble Town, is about like romantic relationships, love relationships. And that's not something we talk to kids about in a thoughtful way. We don't teach kids how to have healthy relationships and that sometimes relationships don't last. Um, and that messaging and opening up that door for conversation with our kids through a medium like a song like that is a really beautiful way for parents to have those hard conversations. Um, and the fact that they're willing to put so much of their personal experience and the things that they think deeply about, whether that be spirituality or honestly racism and gender identity and things like that too, into their music gives parents a way to explore those things, not only for themselves as parents, but with their kids as well. And I, I really encourage everyone to go to their website or go to their Spotify and listen through their albums and listen for those things that are going to touch your heart just as much as they might touch the hearts of the kids that are in your lives too. There was a lot of great stuff in there, but but I think the thing that as presenters that I hope is heard by any other presenter tuning in is about fe the feeling of welcome uh, that they talked about when they get to a venue. And unfortunately, I mean, that could be any ja you know category or genre, but particularly it seems like the youth and family kind of performers get the short end of the stick a lot from from my experience. And so I'm glad that was brought up because that is something that we need to do better with, and they are professional artists. They deserve the same kind of, um, you know, respect and and treatment that any other artist visiting does. So, and I think another way too, Brian, that they really made their mark is in the discussion of the 2020 Grammys, and I remember when that happened, and to relinquish um, your Grammy nomination is certainly not an easy 
thing to come to, um, to do it as a group, I think certainly makes it easier. Um, and I'm sure at the time they got a lot of mixed reactions and they probably second guessed that a lot seeing kind of the nominations of what's come after that in 2020 and seeing more of the diversity in family music being recognized is huge. It was there in 2020, but being somebody who has said, you know, maybe valuing the number of Grammy Awards we've won isn't what we need to do right now. And kind of hearing a little bit more directly from them about what went into that decision um, was really incredible, especially um, the quip of like, can't we just call it music? Mm, yeah, I love You that. know, I mean, there's one category for music from ev like literally every genre that the Grammys gives awards in. I'm sure that there are lots of different ways um, to go about maybe fixing that or, or making it just a little bit more equitable considering how many people release um, albums every year in the family genre. Um, but it definitely highlights a real problem in there kind of hearing how he um, or how they were talking about feeling very um, fortunate to have won the Grammy, but also, you know, kind of having unpleasant feelings perhaps is like one of those things that really kind of brings you back to um, you can always like love something, but you can still challenge it to make it better, right? Like we're allowed to have, we're allowed to feel two things, you know, about an organization or an idea um, is like you can really love something, but also you can just really, truly want it to be better. Well said, Daniel. So in in knowing that we were going to be talking about this today, I, I listened to a fair amount of their songs, which I had never listened to Okie Dokie Brothers before yesterday. I listened to 20 or 30 of their songs, and um, it really has a great folk music feel that doesn't feel child-driven, that just sounds like music, which is really beautiful. But then there's also songs that have a lot of fun to them, like uh, which is now my favorite is Rosita. There's a lot of fun playfulness within everything that they're doing and really talking about a lot of subjects, but in a, in a way that's approachable. Josh, I totally agree about the playfulness of those. I've listened to quite a bit uh, Okie Dokie Brothers, and for whatever reason, uh, Mr. and Mississippi is always the one that comes back to me because it's so catchy and gets stuck in my head. I mean, it also helps that like it's literally right out my back door. <laughs> so, <laughs> because we're sharing our favorite things, the um, the song that they kind of mention um, on on the songs for singing uh, that got me through some stuff um, was called Hope Machine. And, um, you know, we used to like walk and I would listen to that. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that the boys heard it and took some, you know, amount from it. They were pretty little, but that got me through a lot of that period. And I also since like the first time I've heard the Okie Dokie Brothers, I cannot get into a non-motor powered boat and not sing Can You Canoe. <laughs> mm. um, Danielle stole mine. I was going to say Hope Machine because I really love the message of that. And uh, so I'll just go with Howl since you, that was brought up at the end. That was Leo's question. And because, and it's not so much because of the song for me listening to it directly, but because I got to witness a live audience, both children and adults and how they got into that song. I mean, that was, it tore the house down and I could see why that that's, always their final song and and why they're not going to take Leo's suggestion and make it first because it's such an amazing closer and it's so interactive and it just it leaves you so so on a high that that uh you want to go out and buy all their records so I don't know if I can pick a favorite song not surprising um I'm just gonna I I know it's it's really tough and I've been thinking about this for a long time um I would just say the whole Winterland album is my favorite. That CD literally was in the car CD player for an entire year. Like Leo would not let me take it out of the car CD player. And we listened to it, I think, every single day for an entire year. Um, my, I don't know that I can even pick a favorite song off that album. Maybe Ukulele in a Snowstorm. Maybe Slumberjack. I also really love Lazy Day because it reminds you to just take a break every once in a while and stay in your pajamas for a day because everyone needs to take a break. Um, but I honestly love every single song on that, on that CD in particular. So I just, I'm just going to choose all 16 songs off of Winterland. So, well, friends, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation to Joe and Justin. It was such a pleasure to have you. Um, I, like I said before, I've been wanting to do this interview for a really long time and to finally get you guys on the show um, was such a joy for me. So thanks for spending time with us this week and we hope you'll join us again for our next episode of There's No Business Like. 
All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to There's No Business Like. Our producers and hosts are Brian Zelmer, Josh Benson, Kevin Maynard, Katie Miller, and me, Danielle Vanho. Views expressed in this podcast are ours alone and are not reflective of the organizations we are a part of. Keep up with us at nobusinesslife.com. There you'll find links to all of our episodes and socials. If you like this podcast, give us a like, a follow, a review, or our favorite, a five-star rating. Oh, wait, what was that site? (laughs) I got it. Don't worry. It is nobusinesslife.com. Do I sound out bus ines every time I type it? Yep, sure do. Stay in touch, my friends. And I would bet that I'm actually closer to Maryland than Kevin is to Iowa. I don't know about oh. that. Are you? Uh, no, I don't. There's no way. There's, yeah, he's think, literally on the. Border. I mean, if you, I'm on the river, like right now. <laughs> yeah, there's literally he could throw could, a stone and reach the other state. If I could throw, have you ever seen him throw anything? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> All right, Ke- uh, Josh could throw Kevin and hit the other state. <laughs> yes. Okay, fine, whatever. I'm also very close to Maryland and DC, so that's two states. You are close. One you, state. Is- you are close, but you're not right on the line. City. All right, that's our geography for today. That's- Yes. Somehow we got to bring Michigan into it. <laughs> <laughs>